Is it on? Welcome to the Shant Show with your hosts, Curtis, Josh, Mario, and Jordan. Coastal Carolina heads to Norfolk, Virginia and comes back with the crown. They uh, they take out their Sunbelt East rivals, the Monarchs of Old Dominion 28-24 in a game that um, felt like a tale of two halves, felt like a tale of two quarterbacks, felt like a tale of what the hell is happening here? Up, oh, we've won and, and we're out of here. All right, good. <laughs> it was uh, it was a very strange game uh, watching from home. It was very boring, uh, <laughs> which is not a word I like to use when describing Coastal Carolina football because that usually means that they got their ass handed to them. But in this case, the defense played out of their minds for 90% of the game. The offense played out of their minds for about a minute. <laughs> um, and it all worked out. It was it was pretty good. Um, you know, big stories to take away. Ethan Vasco playing at quarterback and not guest. You know, again, the defense being outstanding and the continued improvement of our offensive line. Coastal Carolina's bowl eligible. There's a lot of good things to come out of this game. You know, both Georgia teams lost, which is what Coastal needs. You know, things are looking up for the Sean and Clears. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Will McDonald had a tweet that was like, all you guys that jumped off the bandwagon, you can jump right back on. Listen, I was one of those people. I jumped off the bandwagon. I was talking in here preaching, you know, we might win one more game. And now they look pretty dangerous to make the Sun Belt championship game as East champions, which is crazy. Josh, you were at the game. What was it like to be in the stands for, for a game like this? We'll 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 leave the the theatrics of the end of the game for later in the pod, but Coming into this game, you were expecting something completely different. And what was it like in the stadium for this? In the stadium, well, to be honest, and it includes the it was fun for about like a total of maybe five minutes. Most of the game, I'm just sitting there like it was fun at the beginning because we came out all right. We missed that first field goal, but we were hanging around for a while, six to seven, which when I realized that guest wasn't playing though, I was just like, holy shit. Like we did. It's almost like the, they, it's like the football gods are just like that pregame podcast that you guys rushed to record on Friday night or whatever. Fuck that. Like we don't care. We're going to get Vasco's going to start. Nothing you guys say is valid. And it just looked like it, it looked like the coaches didn't even know that Vasco was going to start until the game, which from what they're saying, it truly looked like a game time decision. And for the first three quarters, that's what it looked like. Like they were just trying to figure it out as they went. And, and like you said, credit to the defense, because without what the defense did, we wouldn't have even been in that game. We wouldn't have been able to figure it out that late in the game and still be able to win. And the offensive line, Vasco wouldn't have 170 rushing yards without the offensive line. And CJ Beasley wouldn't have been able to have a great game. Not even to mention that we lost Jared Brown before halftime in this game. And that doesn't look too serious. It looks like he'll be all right. But you're going into this game now with a banged up Braden Bennett. Jared Guess is out. Jared Brown is out. And, and there was a point where of two minutes to go in the third quarter, we're down 21 to six. I mean, we've talked about it multiple times. We talked about it after this team was two and three and how they could have folded against App State. You talk about how this team could have had a letdown game against Arkansas State the next week. You talk about how 
oh, if Rasheen Ali plays with with now you have guests as your backup quarterback, you can fold. This team just somehow, even with a third string quarterback, without your best offensive weapon, arguably, just found a way to win. It was a complete team win. And that to get out of Norfolk with a win, if you had told me at the beginning of the game, guest is not starting, he's not playing at all, and we're gonna get out of the game with a win, I would have taken it no matter how you presented it. And we only led for 20, 23 seconds in this game. So we pretty much did the bare minimum. And I'll tell you, Norfolk was, that crowd was stunned. I mean, they were having a great time all of the game. I used to work with, when I had an internship with the Tides, I used to work with their PA announcer because he's also the Tides PA announcer. They were going crazy. They were having a great time. And to see them just leave after the most perfect fade ball from Vasco, it, it was it was great to see, and us Shantz fans are are cheering like, oh yeah, there was never a doubt. Yeah, there was a doubt, and we were down by 15 with 16 minutes to go. But listen, the cardiac Shantz found a way, and I cannot be happier with the result because given how it happened and the circumstances and the personnel, I, I will take this as a win, and really that's all there is to it. Yeah, this was uh, definitely cardiac Sean striking again. Uh, my apologies to every kicker out there uh, opening my big fat mouth with the the throwaway stat of nobody has missed a kick against uh, Old Dominion. Uh, and of course, uh, curse of the commentator immediately first drive. But um, no, this was this was a game that was very weird. And, and, and I'm glad you said it the way that you did, where. You know, Old Dominion was having a good time. They were carrying on. They were celebrating. They were, you know, you know, on top of the mountain. And, and very quickly in the fourth quarter, they realized, oh, actually, we never put Coastal away. And they've got a real good chance to come back in this game and win it. Mario, for the first three quarters of this game, Coastal Carolina looked a, a little bit dead. Do you think that had more to do with the switch at quarterback? Or, or do you think that Old Dominion just had some, had their number? Um, Probably a little bit both. You know, I do think that uh, for the first three quarters, obviously, offensively, we were definitely flat-footed, lackluster. I do believe that Old Dominion was given a very competitive fight, and we expected that. You know, we said it on this podcast that we expected this to be a very competitive match. We expected it to be a little less competitive than what it really was. We didn't. Uh, I mean, I know you predicted uh, a very close game. You predicted that was going to be Kate Hensley kicking a field goal, not the game winner, but end up basically kicking the, the field goal that was going to get us the win. But for the most part, uh, Jordan said it, I said it, I think even Josh said it, that we expected this to be competitive, but not as competitive as it was. And I, I just think that as far as the Old Dominion defense, like we got to give them a lot of credit. You know, they came in, they played really well. And I think that as a Coastal Carolina fan, I know we didn't have all the personnel, but there's some good things to take away from this and some bad things to take away from this. Honestly, I'm kind of concerned we almost lost to Parliament, you know. I'm kind of concerned that, you know, democracy almost fell. But you know what? This isn't the Boston Tea Party. You know, we're not going to get bullied by them again, <laughs> you know. Uh, and at the end of the day, the the biggest message here is democracy wins like it should. So <laughs> with that being said, I'm glad that Coastal came out of Norfolk with the win. And you know what? It's on to Texas State. Yeah, honestly, like when you look at the box score from from a totality standpoint, it kind of looks like we did our thing. I mean, we outgained them by 110 yards. We we had more passing yards with the, than them with our third string quarterback, and we outrushed them by a hundred yards. 
We beat them by their with at their own game. And granted, yeah, that had a lot to do with um Vasco is a huge rushing weapon. And definitely, even when Jared Guest comes back, likely next week, um, we should definitely still implement Vasco in the run game because that dude is a, a beast of a human. But I mean, Curtis, what did you, you predicted what? Uh 27-24? 27-21. So 27, I, was, I, was I thought that was mine. Bit. I thought you were a three-point win. Was I? I'm pretty sure you were 27-24. I might have been. But, but, yeah, but I, would you have predicted that with if you had known that it was Vasco? No, no. If I had known that it was Vasco, I probably would have picked, like, I probably would have flipped that. Yeah. Right? I probably would have had Coastal losing by three points rather than, than winning by three points. Like, that's, uh, it's not a I'm massive step taken- down. To Vasco, no first team reps though the entire yes. offseason. That's the big thing, right? It's it's not a massive step down from guests right. to Vasco. In fact, I think you know they are two completely different quarterbacks. Right. But if you had to rank the talent, I'd put them on the same tier. So like you're not losing a lot by going from guests to Vasco, but no first team reps, no like experience in the offense, and guest looked magical against Marshall the week before. And I feel like that really showed in the first three quarters that he Absolutely. had no reps, and it's, it was his first college start, like, ever in three years. So I, I definitely felt like that showed. Right, and the other thing I wanted to mention, too, because we mentioned him a little bit, obviously we talked about Henderson a lot as potentially one of the best defensive players in, in the Sun Belt. He had 22 total tackles, which sounds like a lot, but out of those 22 total, only four of them were solo. He had one and a half sacks. And it seems like the rest of the team itself, they really didn't do a lot. You know, obviously a lot of big total tackles, but as far as solo, there wasn't really a lot, a total of just two sacks. So I do got to give this offense, despite as lackluster as they were, and again, shout out to the offensive line, to go up there against the best Sunbelt defensive player, arguably, and to, you know, obviously he had himself a little bit of a game, but to kind of minimize him a little bit, and not just him, but the rest of the team itself, that's where you got to give the offensive line, you know, their flowers. We don't give it to them enough. You know, there's a lot of games where we feel like they let us down. But in this specific game, I think they did relatively well to keep Coastal in the game or at least to keep the offense in this game to make the plays that they need to to win. OK, what what I will say here as, as a little bit of a counterpoint to that is Jason Henderson, I believe if he played at a bigger university, would be a candidate for the Heisman. That guy is incredible. He is Manti Teo levels of dominant on a defense that has zero talent around him. And yeah, he only had four total tackles, but that's because he plays middle linebacker and everybody else like joins in once he makes the play. They're not making the play. He's filling the hole, hitting the running back, and then a defensive tackle happens to fall on top of him too. So like it's, I understand that that makes it look a little bit worse, that guy is the best defensive player I've seen Coastal come up against ever, period. Like, that performance was stunning, and, and he deserves so much more than Old Dominion. And and I don't wish ill on anybody. I don't, like, I, I don't want bad things for Old Dominion's program. I want that guy to transfer to the to the Power 5 level just so that he gets the notoriety that he deserves for for his last couple of of NCAA seasons. I mean, he's he's played for 3 years and he's already got 400 total tackles. Like just ridiculous. I, I'll spoil uh <laughs> a segment towards the end of that where we give the game ball. I don't care what Coastal did, my game ball goes to him. 
Like that was an amazing performance to watch 42 roam around. Um, and I wish we got to play old dominion more often just to watch him. Um, but yeah, I, I listen, coastal Carolina did a very, very good job of taking care of themselves. Were they the best offense in the world for the first three quarters? No, but did they make major mistakes that cost you points? No. And that's when you have a quarterback who's feeling out of system, when you have, you know, uh, your major slot receiver who's who's been a massive part of your offense is out. You have to have those bumps and you can't let them beat you. And that's the good thing that Coastal did in the first three quarters. They didn't let that beat them. They didn't have a lot of turnovers. They didn't, you know, have drives that went negative yards and then you have to punt and you lose field position. They did a really good job of containing what could have been a very mediocre start and turned it into just a boring one, <laughs> which I will take boring over mediocre every single day. Josh, we'll dive into the fourth quarter now. Coastal Carolina enters it down to Old Dominion and and really looking kind of anemic. Ethan Vasco breaks out a 75-yard run, first down, and, and no more downs needed. He's gone. What was that like from the stands? It was crazy because right right at that point, we're down 21-6. to six. Old Dominion had just scored a touchdown. They Old Dominion scored a touchdown to put go up 21-6 to six with three minutes left in the third quarter. At that point, I mean, I had pretty much ruled out many of the ways we could have won that football game that didn't involve a couple turnovers on defense. And we didn't get a couple – we didn't get any turnovers on defense except for like – I think maybe we had a turnover on downs or something, but we came into that. Ethan Vasco, who, let, let, let's be frank, up to that point had been pretty bad. And that's that's not really on him because, like we said, no first-team reps really so far. Yes, he played last week, but not in the capacity where he was going to have to throw the ball and he could really just use his body and be a dynamic runner. But he takes it upon himself, and I feel like that kind of showed the team hey, look, I know that I maybe have been a contributor to putting us in this situation, but I'm going to help us get get out of this. Gets Rips off the 75-yard touchdown run, really turns on the Jets. That dude is fast. He's big, he's fast, he's strong. Those are all kind of things you want in a dynamic quarterback. And after that, it was, it was just a different team of offense. We go down the next possession. After we – so we score that, force a punt on Old Dominion, Get the ball back. I'm thinking we're doing something well, and I like the aggressiveness, but it ends in a turnover on downs. And then defense goes right back out there, forces the three and out, gets you the ball right back. And finally, we really step up for him, and it's mostly C.J. Beasley on that. Max Balth is our start, but C.J. Beasley touches the ball in the last three plays, catch, run, run, and the last run's a 17-yard touchdown. And then they put in Jared Guest, for a, a two point conversion to tie the tie the ball game, and really it really created a distraction. Everybody's like, "What's happening?" I thought he wasn't even active today. He goes out there, he hands the ball off to Vasco, and Vasco's able to stretch for the touchdown for the two point conversion, mind you. So twenty one twenty one all, we force a punt, and then we have an awful 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 drive that results in negative yards, and and Vasco did take a bad sack on that, but. So we have to punt, and at that point it's tied. Old Dominion kicks a field goal with a minute 24 left. Coastal has one timeout, and they're down by three. 
you're thinking, okay, field goal, let's tie it up, let's get to overtime. It's kind of the best case scenario. And then Coastal comes out all on all on Vasco, which at that point he could have easily crumbled, whatever you got there. And then incomplete, incomplete, whatever. Force a pass downfield. DeAndre Coleman does a fantastic job of drawing a pass interference, gets it to about the 40, and then incomplete, incomplete again. It's third and 10 at like our own 45. And Vasco, who had had trouble with accuracy at that point, hits a pass to Kyrie Duplessis on third and 10. Kyrie Duplessis, another Virginia guy, went to Woodbridge High School, Virginia to Virginia Connection. Like we said, former walk-on steps up. He's playing in the place of Jared Brown now. So the three receivers are Pigney, Duplessis, and Tucker are the only three receivers that we have left, essentially. Coleman's playing too, but two of those guys are walk-ons. Two of those guys got their scholarships this past summer. The only guy who had a scholarship entering last summer was Pigney of that group. So for Tucker and Duplessis to step up like they've been, especially in this moment for Duplessis, picks up 32 yards, we get it to the 28. And then I'm sure Curtis has something to say, but we run the ball twice. And and it kind of looks like we're just going to set up the field goal for overtime. And then we force Old Dominion to take a timeout in there. We take a timeout with 28 seconds and then come out first down, have the ball at the 14. Vasco throws the most perfect fade ball to Sam. And I called it in the stands before. I was like, we got to at least try it. You go one-on-one coverage outside with Sam, who's like six foot four. I mean, he's a grown man at this point. He's playing against 19, 20-year-olds. Sam Pickney is married. He has like a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. This dude is a grown man among boys, not to mention he's six foot four. Perfect fade ball, touchdown, went for the jugular. You got time. You can run a couple plays for the kill. That's what we did. Executed perfectly. Kate Hensley makes the kick, and we end up winning the game. But but something I do want to throw in is that shout-out to Ethan Vasco. Yes, that's a big drive, whatever, but He's been in probably a similar situation before. If you don't know Virginia high school football, I feel like it's a niche thing. But Lamarion James is Old Dominion's corner, kick returner, whatever. Him and Vasco played against each other in high school. Both of them played both ways in high school. Vasco was a corner and quarterback. James was a running back and corner. They played against each other in high school. Vasco won that matchup, and Oscar Smith ended up winning the state championship. But he played against James at corner before. He identifies that he's guarding Pickney, picks on him, probably studied a lot of film on James going back to high school and puts it where he can't get it. And and James had good coverage, but not good enough for Pickney. Ends up making the throw. That's the type of big play. C.J. Beasley, also from Virginia, went to Mari High School in Norfolk, ended up scoring that touchdown. So all Virginia shots there in that fourth quarter had a big kind of homecoming game for him, homecoming part two, and it was just incredible to be there for watch all the old dominion fans leave after that, after they were just completely stunned. You're up 15, basically heading into the fourth quarter. Everything about it was great. We never gave up. Vasco really showed them that. I feel like with that 75 yard touchdown run, and it was definitely great to be a Sean in that moment. Yeah. You, you said it in your rundown there about how I was worried on the last drive. I really, when we did the two quarterback draws back to back on the last drive, I was like, is, is Tim Beck playing for overtime here? Like what, what the hell is happening? Like, are we lining up to get a field goal? And you know, all those, all those feel, all of those fears were abated when we hit the, the fade to, to Pinkney and it was, it was over, but, but yeah, I got real nervous that we didn't believe in our quarterback there for a little bit. And 
I don't know why we wouldn't. In the fourth quarter, I'd say that back. From about two minutes left in the third quarter onwards, he was the man. He was he was what we wanted him to be. He was everything that a coastal quarterback should be. He was decisive. He was accurate. He was making plays on the ground. He was making the right reads and the read option. Finally, like he was doing all the right things. The only crazy potential in that stretch. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that he did was not throw the ball away on that one sack. That's it. Period. <laughs> like he played a perfect 17 and a half minutes aside from one play. And I think that's very, very promising for Coastal moving forward. Now, would I like to see Jared Guest next week? Absolutely. I think Jared Guest fits the Tim Beck system better than any quarterback we have on our roster. That's Grayson McCall included. But, like, this was what we needed. It, when when the team needed someone to step up, he did. And, and yeah, it was it was really nice to see. Mario, we'll, we'll come to you with this question. Right now, you've got a great game from Jared Guest against Marshall. You have... A bad game that turns into a good one with the fourth quarter from Vasco. Who do you want under center next week? Honestly, give me both. Why not? You know, again, I think I'm the only one that's been at Coastal long enough to remember the, uh, at least on this podcast, to remember Carpenter and Peyton and how they used to split and how they used to just split, like, you know, quarterback reps and everything like that. Except the difference was Peyton is an FCS quarterback. And Carpenter is at best, uh, he was a backup. I think you get Carpenter Payton 2.0, but it's better. And I think that I would like to see Ethan Vasco get a lot more reps with that first team so he can get acclimated to it. Ethan Vasco, in my opinion, most likely could potentially be the starting quarterback for Coastal Carolina by next year. He's obviously, you know, a true freshman. He's got his future ahead of him. I would like to see him get acclimated to this type of offense a little bit more, at least this year. So next year he's even more ready for it. Cause let's be because let's be honest, if we're looking ahead, once Grayson McCall is gone, we got to see who the next guy up is. And most likely it's probably going to be Ethan Vasco. So I would like to see him get some more reps. As far as Jared Guess, Jared Guess, correct me if I'm wrong, he is a senior. I don't know if he has any more eligibility left. So he obviously doesn't which means Jared Guest is not going to have enough, a lot of time left to even play quarterback for Coastal Carolina anymore. I think he's going to be probably the majority starter, but I would like to see both of them split reps. I think it creates more unpredictability. I think it gives Ethan Vasco a lot more experience with the first team to kind of, you know, build that type of skill, build that type of experience and just make him a better quarterback. And I don't think there's any hurt in it. You know, there's a lot of plays that I feel like Tim Beck can run with Ethan Vasco that he probably can't with Jared Guest. And there's a lot of plays that he can run with Jared Guest that he can't run with Ethan. So I feel like just splitting uh, just splitting those quarterbacks up, giving them different reps, giving them different looks, and allowing them both to become better quarterbacks, I think that's a win-win situation. I'd like to see both. But I do think that Jared Guest is going to get the majority reps. Yeah, I would like to see them split time as well. I think that would have been my answer too. I, I, the only caveat that I have to that is I don't want to see them split time and Jared Guest runs the air raid Tim Beck style offense, and then Vasco comes in and they go to the Chadwell triple option. And like the defense knows what's coming because of the yeah, quarterback that's back not. there. Absolutely not. If you're gonna if you're gonna have them split carries or a split reps, you need to have Jared Guest in some of those plays that people might think Ethan Vasco is gonna run and vice versa. You need to mix up the plays. No matter which quarterback is in, you have to make sure that the playbook doesn't change, and you have to make sure that it's not predictable. I, that's what I, so you keep that whole playbook, 
you just say, all right, for two plays, you're going to be in gas, or for one drive, you're going to be in gas. The next one, Vasco is going to come in. And no matter which quarterback is in, both quarterbacks should be good enough to make any play that that coach calls. That's where I agree with you on, but I would love to see them split it. Yeah, I think I think Coastal ran into that far too often when they would try and bring in Bryce Carpenter for a couple of plays when, when McCall needed a breather or it was just like a scheme change type thing. It, it and then they so would just have him run like quarterback power over and over and over again. It's like, well, what's the point of bringing yeah. him in? The defense it, knows when 12's under center, that's the play that they're running. And it was so predictable because we didn't have a true quarterback. And I don't think neither one of them were capable of being that true quarterback. It's And I think when Grayson McCall came, I think that really did save the football program. But at the time, I think they were just splitting quarterbacks to see what worked. And both of them, you know, as far as I think Bryce Carpenter may have had like the better arm, maybe the better accuracy. And Fred Payton was just a runner. But I think with these two guys, I think they're good enough to be that 2.0, but just so much better because I think they're both capable of making the right plays. They're both capable of airing that ball. They're both capable of just being the quarterbacks that we expect them to be. And I think that if you split the touches with them, I don't think it's going to hurt either one. And I don't think it's going to hurt this program. It's it's got to be a credit to Tim Beck in some way in the fact that yes he was able to convince Guest to stay which we've said like Guest could have gone anywhere Grayson was in the transfer portal got him to come back and he went and got Vasco like as much as Vasco doesn't really match Tim Beck's style he recruited Vasco there to win the last three games in a row with three different quarterbacks starting those games I don't think you can name another team in the country that would even really be capable of doing that outside of like an Alabama or Texas. Right. And credit to him because A, he did this at a limited time and B, he did this at a time where there was so much uncertainty that I feel like any other coach wouldn't have made this work. Maybe there wouldn't be another coach to kind of sweet talk them to stay. There wouldn't have been another coach to make it worth their while. That's the best way I could put it. So some coach may have been sweet talking them today and we're going to give you all of this. And then just basically once they stay, be like, huh, you're going to sit on the bench, screw. But I think with Tim Beck, he knows how to not only get them to stay, but it's proven that he knows how to use them and make them feel like they're actually a part of the team. And that's credit to him. I, I don't know when Ethan Vasco committed to Coastal Carolina out of the transfer portal, but I almost wonder if Grayson McCall did us an indirect favor by entering the portal for a while in, in that Vasco thought he was going to be the backup to Jared Guest rather than third string and committed to Coastal. Now he stayed with that commitment, bet got him here, like all those things, right? But But it really shows you the talent level of Coastal Carolina's backups. I mean, hell, even just two years ago, I wouldn't have trusted when Grayson McCall went down. And now we're on our third string quarterback. And I'm not worried about Texas State next week, even if Vasco is the only healthy quarterback on the roster, right? Like, I, I whatever, who cares? Josh, you have a point to add here before we uh, get into the wrap up. Yeah, I, I think for context, and I think it's less of Grayson McCall just favoring more of maybe, I don't know if it was Trickett or Beck or whatever, but he didn't commit until April 24th. Which is just weird, especially since he's not a Damn. he's not a typical Tim Beck guy. If you think back of all the guys that he's had, so real real shout out to him because without that recruitment today, I don't know. I don't think there's a zero percent chance we win that game in Norfolk. Well, your your quarterback would have been for Norfolk would have been a true freshman in Blake Boda, right, or a walk on true freshman in Scott Sailors. Yeah. Like, so if they hadn't gone out and got him in April, so that throws my theory completely out the window, but like if they hadn't got him out in April, right, but right before, right after spring camp, shit, man, you would have had no chance. 
And and that's on him for realizing what they were missing and maybe saying, oh, if we had a dynamic, big running quarterback, maybe that could help our offense or whatever. So uh, that uh, over and over again, like he he's he's very weird this year because like he starts out so bad. Somehow we win one four in a row. But I mean, overall, for me, just like credit to Tim Beck for finding ways to win. He has not typically in his his coaching career really had to cobble together wins like this with scraps because obviously he's been at schools with his third string quarterbacks, a four star recruit in high school, and he's never had to deal with this. But I, I think over and over again, he's gotten better at adapting. And one thing I did want to mention is one thing I didn't love about Tim Beck when he got in here is that, yes, he, he has the power five experience. But he brought that mentality, which in a part is good, but he brought it to Coastal, brought this professionalism, brought this, oh, we're competing for national championships, not whatever this game means, whatever. He was very serious, very not as much of what you think is having fun balling at the beach. And recently, he's been a lot more animated in the locker room. He's been a lot more animated on the sidelines. He's been a lot more, at least what I've seen, from social media and seeing him in person having a lot more fun. He he did the thing where he cleared all the players out this week and he, he made them into a makeshift bowling lane and he rolled a strike. That's what it's all about. He's showing some swagger recently. The team is showing some swagger. They're having fun at the group of five level and at coastal Carolina. Curtis has said this a thousand times. That's what it's about. That's what we expect here. That's how you win here. So to see him kind of starting to realize that his tough, no fun, whatever, Big Ten, Big 12 experience is not necessarily going to translate. And sometimes you just got to ball at the beach and have fun and and we're the beach chickens and we do it in Dirty Myrtle. And to see him adapt to that has really been refreshing in the last couple of weeks. And I feel like that part of that is helping him win this fan base over, especially being bowl eligible. But him having swag is just as important as as winning like football games on the field in the way that he does. Right. And the other thing too is I can't recall one time this season where I've said, you know what? Where I've said the cliche thing, you know, keep your foot on the gas and keep going. Don't get don't like make sure it gets to your head. Even though they're having fun, they're not acting cocky. They're not coming out of the game. Right. Yeah. Basically chanting about how the Kings of New York after beating a terrible Buffalo yeah. team. They're not satisfied with beating all these trash teams that they're supposed to be. And I think that you can have this is a proof that you can have fun. Keep your keep your basically keep your focus and your vision onto the next task at hand and still be able to be successful without being yeah, cocky and arrogant. He said right after the game, he was like, Yes, we he, his first comment like to the sideline reporter was yes, we're gonna we have other goals this season and bowling is it. He's like, I've been bowling a hundred times. Like that, that's not our goal. Our goal is obviously to compete for the championship. We have bigger goals, but he's like, but that doesn't mean that this group is not going to enjoy this for every bit that it's worth. And we're going to enjoy it as much as we can before we move on to Texas state. And I really applaud him for kind of getting into that mindset. This isn't the big 12. This isn't the sec. This is the fun belt. And to see him having fun is, is really refreshing to me from what I saw early in the season from Tim Beck. Yeah, I appreciate Tim Beck's professionalism. He was awesome at UCLA even after a loss. Like we were out the Rose Bowl with him and he came into the 
you know, the press conference room and he was super personable and professional and, you know, we'll take our lumps, but we'll learn from this. And like the typical Nick Saban response, but like to see him take the edge off a little bit and realize, Hey, actually I'm at coastal Carolina a school known for, for mullets and coop and Tav and, and the beach. Like, all right, I can actually, we can do stupid shit and get away with it. As long as we keep winning, as long as we're focused on the next task. And he's done a great job of maintaining that and managing it very, very well. And I'm, I'm glad to see him take the edge off a little bit and then have it, have it be uh be a little bit less super professional. With that, I think we'll go ahead and we'll wrap it up. Um, obviously, we've got our pregame episode coming later this week. Texas State, um, the longest possible road trip uh, in the Sun Belt. Texas State makes the the, the, the trip all the way to the coast. Um, you know, it's, it's a game full of intrigue. Texas State started out really good and then kind of fell apart. You know, Coastal Carolina started out really bad and then kind of figured it all out. So uh, two teams on, on different sides of the tracks here. So we'll have a preview for that later this week. And uh, unfortunately, basketball starts. So we have to do a basketball episode. Ugh, God damn it. I have to deal with Cliff Ellis for another year. I hate that. I hate uh, I hate all of it. Uh, there's some there's some part of me deep deep hate-filled part of me that wants Coastal's basketball team to not win a single game this year. I, I just want Cliff Ellis to pad his record for most lo- most losses by a head coach even more. But you know what? I, I'll save that for the basketball episode. You guys aren't here for that. So um, with that, I'll sign us off. Follow us on X at The Shant Show on Instagram at Shant Show. We appreciate you guys uh, always showing up for us on social media. As always, Shant's up. Fire Cliff Ellis, please, please, for the love of God, get that man out of here.